Have a spiritual foe, and we have got to fight against him, and it's a spiritual fight. Whenever you have two believers who are struggling with one another, it's always got a spiritual component, always. The solution is always spiritual. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians 10. So it's important in this spiritual fight that we rely on our spiritual ability. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, look in verse 4. It says, the weapons of our fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Does everybody know what a stronghold is? A stronghold, in a, it's, a, it's a military term, and it means a fortress or a readout. It's used, it's a, a place where, you know, that you can take cover. And if you think about this, we all have in our lives, in our personal lives, strongholds. Society has strongholds. Um, these are areas where, you know, my personal strongholds, those are areas within my life where, you know, sin is the strongest, that the Spirit of God hasn't gotten in there and eradicated it. Um, we see strongholds within our world, you know, um, places that are particularly evil. So this has a lot of different applications. As a spirit-filled Christian, we engage in battles against spiritual principalities and powers. And, and in those battles, we have to we rely on spiritual weapons. The world, of course, has its weapons. Uh, we know that uh, from a sin point of view, the world relies very heavily on envy and strife. But it's with spiritual weapons that we need to fight back. We need to fight these spiritual battles. Unfortunately, too often, Christians rely on worldly weapons to fight spiritual battles. And this isn't good. Um, I was, and you don't have to turn there, but I was thinking of Romans chapter 8, where it says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So we, we are going to rely on what we mind, what we think about. So today we're going to talk about the power of the tongue and how important that is in this spiritual competition that we are involved in. Now, when I say tongue, what I'm talking about is our verbal communication. Human beings are a group of people, or as a species, we are very com communicative. We talk and we verbalize, and our relationships with one another are defined in large part by our verbal communication. We define everything from ideas, emotions, experiences, thoughts, objects, and people. We speak with the intent to affect change. We use words to comfort and to encourage or to confront or to inspire. We also use words to malign or instigate or injure or defame. 
And the words that we use reflect the heart behind the words. Go to Proverbs chapter 18, Proverbs 18. We're going to be moving around quite a bit in this teaching. There's just, the Bible has a lot to say about the power of the tongue. So Proverbs 18, look in verse 19. It says, an offended brother is more unyielding than an, than a fortified city, and disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. That's a stronghold, isn't it? Verse 20, from the fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is filled with the harvest from his lips. He is satisfied. And this isn't talking food, food. This is talking the words that you say will come back to you and they will either be satisfying or not. Verse 21, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. How about that? So there's always this spiritual idea of cause and effect, that when we speak good words, we get life. And when we speak words that are ill or thoughtless or wicked, we're going to get death. So there's a lot of power in the tongue. Think about that. When you got saved, you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So there's this association between the mouth and the heart. Go to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And look in verse 44. It says, every tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Now, how about that? Isn't that interesting? So what is in a person's heart will show up in his mouth. That's how it works. This is a, a vital truth for the spiritual walks of Christians. I've used this phrase before in fellowship. It's an old country phrase. What's down in the well will always come up in the bucket. And that's true for us. What we have, what we cultivate in our hearts will always show up in our mouth, in the words that we say. Go to James chapter 3. James 3. And in verse 1, James 3, 1, it says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And simply that just means that God holds spiritual leadership to a higher standard. So that if you ever desire to, to be a spiritual leader, the Bible says, if you desire that, you desire a good deed, but to know that you're going to be held to a higher standard. Verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. And that is absolutely true when it comes to the words that we speak. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man or he is fully mature, able to keep his whole body in check. So in other words, our the maturity, our spiritual maturity is gauged by our words. Are our words rash? Are they edifying? Are they hurtful? These are examples. Look in verse 3. When we put a bit into the mouth of horses make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships, for an example. Although, the, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. 
So you all see that that metaphor there, that idea that just as with with a horse's bit or the rudder of a ship, the tongue is small compared to the rest of the body, but it has enormous power, enormous power. It goes on, it says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and it is set on the fire of hell. So that's a, that's a lot of power. That is a lot of power. You think about it, a smoldering ember, and AJ knows this the best because he's got to deal with forest fires every year, but a smoldering ember has the power to proliferate into a the largest forest fire. It's amazing, isn't it? The power one has over his life is directly connected with what comes out of his mouth. And that is absolutely a true statement. Verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poisons. How about that? So ultimately, a person can't tame their tongue. So what does that mean? Does that mean we just give up? No, it, it means that we recognize the deeper truth, that the tongue is ruled by what we have in our hearts. Verse 9, with the same tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. I think that's interesting. If we're all honest, we will all fess up to the fact that we are guilty of this lack of consistency. Um, I used to always think about the old days, getting into a fight on the way to fellowship, and then walking into fellowship and being, praise you, praise you, and then walking out and continuing the same fight. <laughs> so, that, and, and it, it's, I like how James says it, these things ought not to be. We humans are able to praise God with the most reverent language and turn around and say the meanest and the most cruel things to one another. Unbelievable. 11, verse 11, it says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt, a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show out of his good life by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. How about that? Wisdom. And that's the objective from a practical point of view of our Christian lives, you know, from a horizontal point of view, is that we grow in wisdom. We learn to be wiser. One of the hallmarks of sin I wrote down here is that we can see failures in others when it comes to, you know, um, communication, but we don't see it in ourselves. And a mark of spiritual maturity is marked by a humble acceptance of our own sin, that we all do this stuff. So I hope as I go through this teaching and as you feel yourself, your soul pricked a little bit, just keep in mind that we're all getting reproved here. <laughs> it's important. And the thing is, is that, you know, uh, what's that verse in the word where it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. We all need this. It helps us to keep our spiritual lives tight, especially in this category of speak speech 
and communication. Each of us holds things in our hearts that God doesn't find acceptable. In verse 14, it says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambitions in your heart, do not boast against it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peaceful or peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, raise a harvest of righteousness. How about that? So Christians, by their very calling, are peacemakers. We're peacemakers. Our God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So when we cultivate these qualities of peace and consideration and submissiveness, mercy, impartiality, and sincerity within our hearts, it will be reflected in what and how we say things. A Christian is not to be given to worldly extremes. The uh, Bible says in Philippians, it says, Let your moderation be known among all men. The Lord is at hand. Let your moderation be known among all men. So we're not given to extremes. I, I listen to the radio. I listen to the TV set. And it is amazing how virulent and, and just, I mean, extreme people of the world is screaming at each other. Timothy says the servant of God must not quarrel, but be apt to teach patient. We're just not part of that crowd. We walk by a different spirit. Go to Psalm 15. Psalm 15. Wisdom comes with peace. A fool, as you will see as we go through this teaching, is usually associated with loudness and and just uh, somebody who is abusive. <clears throat> Excuse me. Psalm 15, in verse 1, it says, A psalm of David, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary, and who may live in your holy hill? So this is a, this is a good question. In other words, who is that person who will dwell closely with God? I want it to be me. You want it to be you. We all want to dwell closely with God. Is it the person who spends the most time researching the Bible? Maybe. Uh, is it the person who gives the most and serves the most? Maybe. But here in verse 2, it says, He who walks blameless and who does, not, uh, does what is righteous. And here it is, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man. How about that? And I wrote a note here. I said, we all should ask ourselves, how easy is it for us to speak ill of someone? When I think about my own life, I think way too easy, way too easy. The corollary, of course, to this is how easy is it for us to listen to someone else speak ill of someone? And this is where the power of... The tongue is. So uh, we're going to chat a little bit about gossip and slander. Gossip and slander. Go to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 16. Yeah, I talk a lot in fellowship about our spiritual maintenance plans. I can't think of anything that is more necessary to you know, revisit and to think about then the maintenance plan we have on what we say. Verse 16, Proverbs 16, verse 27, a scoundrel plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. A perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates chief friends. As we uh, learned earlier and noted earlier, a person is known by his fruit. Um, in scripture, we're warned 
to beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, and beware of decision. Concision, I'm sorry, not decision. Concision. That a person who goes around, who speaks words of dissension, who pits one person against another, who speaks behind their back, who separates close friends. Um, these people who do this of course, need to either change or leave, but they can't be allowed to stay in the fellowship as is. These are people who divide with their words. A gossip separates close friends. I've seen this so many times in my Christian life. People telling tales and dividing friends. Uh, just, it's horrible. There's a good way, good and practical way to think about this. And I was taught this by a manager that I used to have. She was a, a devout Christian, is a devout Christian. And uh, we were talking about something and something came up in our conversation about somebody. And, and so I kind of pressed her a little bit about more information about that person and the circumstances that person was going through. And she stopped and looked at me and she said, well, that's their story to tell, not mine. And I, I was reproved because I was trying to get the inside skinny on what was going on. And uh, But it was very gracious how she said this. It's not my story to tell. And I think that that is a good key for us when we're, when we're dealing with people, that there are things that you should be able to share that you can share and things that you really don't have a right to share. And uh, and this is the category of gossip, that it is sharing something that you do not have a right to share. And so you should stop doing that. Go to First Timothy chapter 5. I love that. It's not my story to share. First Timothy chapter 5. Now we're going to pick this up in verse 13. It's talking about these widows who are idle and you know, that's specifically what it's addressed to, but it generally applies to all of us. So in verse 13, it says, Besides, they get into habits of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things that they ought not to. See, there's that phrase that we saw earlier in James. They ought not to say these things. God takes a very dim view of gossip. He does not like it. It's impugning others' names and their characters, and it's just wrong. Go to Titus chapter 3. We talked about this. We studied the book of Titus uh, maybe, I guess, about a month and a half ago, and, and we chatted a little bit about slander. So we're going to take a look at that here. Titus chapter 3, look in verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, and to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility towards all men. How about that? Slander no one. I've came across a good definition of slander. Slander is a false tale or report maliciously uttered, intending to injure the reputation of another by lessening him in the esteem of his fellow citizens, by exposing him to impeachment and punishment, or by impairing his means of living. It's otherwise known, uh, slander is otherwise known as defamation. Um, and a lot of times, you know, this this definition shows a deliberate intent to be deceitful. I would say that slander is bearing false witness of somebody because, you know, either we intend to or sometimes we don't, but we do it anyway. Um, we're, we're, we're saying false things about a person because we're remembering things wrongly. And I'll get into that a little bit later. But as I noticed when we were going through the book of Titus, we live in a world that's filled with slander. 
slander is the tool of the politician and the journalist. They that that's their biggest capability is slander. And we tend to pick these habits up when we watch the evening news. There was a Roman poet named Juvenal. He said that slander, that worst of poisons, ever finds an easy entrance into ignoble minds. In other words, if you don't keep your mind right. If you don't speak the truth to yourself in your heart, you will be easy prey for slander. It is a corrupting influence in both hearing and speaking. Stay away from slander. Go to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs 11. I'm going to read you the King James version of this verse. It says, A talebearer reveals, reveals secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. What's a talebearer? Well, it's somebody who bears a tale. It's a gossip, all right? It's just a different name for a gossip. It means to deride or speak ill of someone behind their back. A faithful person covers over these things with silence. There is a proper time and a proper place and a proper way to handle issues. We're going to come across issues throughout our time within the body of Christ. Things are going to happen. There's a right way to do it. Uh, the, the absolute wrong way to do it is to go around running your mouth. It is just not correct. We don't air our dirty laundry in public, and we don't talk about people behind their backs. That is important to keep in, in our minds. Go to Revelations chapter 12, or Revelation I had somebody correct me on that. I was I was saying revelations, and they said, no, it's revelation, singular. Revelation 12. And so when that person told me that, I said, you know, I correct, or I said, mind your business. No, I didn't say that. Of course not. I said, thank you for pointing that out to me, right? Thank you. Revelation 12, and in verse 10, it says, Then I heard a loud voice from heaven say, Now is come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. So that's the name, a name of Satan, is the accuser of the brethren. That's what he loves. That's his his job. <laughs> now, it's a, an accusation in and of itself isn't necessarily wrong. God accuses us sometimes when we do things wrong. We call it confrontation. It's an accusation, but it's a founded accusation. Satan is all about false accusation, either in content or in weight. Uh, but that's how Satan works. God, his objective through confrontation is to perfect his saints, to get his saints to be able to walk better, to, you know, it's like a father correcting his son. The intent behind that is to, to help him to be a better man when he grows up. Well, that's God's heart for us, that we would be more holy and more just and more Christ-like. So that's God's intent. Satan, on the other hand, his tactics are, first, to tempt a believer to commit a sin, and then to accuse him for sinning, and then to surround the whole thing with scandal and condemnation. That's how he works. When we tailbear and backbite, we are doing the work of our adversary, and we have to keep this in mind. A lot of times in the church, I've I see it happen. I've done it myself. You you tailbear, but you cloak it with, well, look, we need to pray for somebody because they're doing this, 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 and this. <laughs> That's not right. To say we need to pray for somebody, they're going through a tough time. That's sufficient, right? 
Now, of course, in leadership, sometimes, you know, we need to discuss particulars to help people and to straighten issues out. But even that, I mean, I've seen leaders who just become nothing but gossips, and that's wrong. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4, and look at verse 29. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful in building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's very clear, isn't it? That's our intent. That's our intent. We want the best for our brother even in a situation where a brother fails miserably. I, I think about as an example, you know, in 1 Corinthians, Paul calls out the man who was sleeping with his mother or his father's wife, it says, right? So ostensibly having sex with his father's wife. But then in 2 Corinthians, he refers to the same guy and he says, you know, this guy has repented. Welcome him back in with open arms. Demonstrate your love towards him lest he be consumed with overmuch sorrow. So in this situation where this person just did this horrible thing, and yet the love of God is so much bigger than that. Isn't that something? Our speech has got to be edifying. It's got to be clarifying. It's got to be confronting. It's got to be endearing. It's never to be used to harm or defame one another. That is relying on weapons of the world. Go to Matthew. Chapter 12, Matthew 12, in verse 36. It says, But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. How important is the tongue? It's very important. It's very important. We have to give an account for our words. So we need to make this commitment that we are going to, as much as possible to walk according to the love of God, the grace of God, and the truth of God. We're going to spend a little bit of time in Proverbs. Go to Proverbs chapter 19. Uh, Proverbs is the book of wisdom. Um, every Hebrew child growing up was um, instructed out of the book of Proverbs, actually memorized. I don't know if they memorized the entire, uh, all the Proverbs, but... Um, the idea behind a proverb is it is a wise saying. It's a truism. And so the book of Proverbs is simply a compilation of truisms. And these things are ageless. They're ageless truisms. So Proverbs chapter 19, look in verse 11. It says, a man's wisdom gives him patience, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Wow. How about that? Isn't that interesting? There's a time and a place for overlooking an offense. Now, what would that be? <laughs> Why would I overlook an offense? Well, think about this. Um, a, a great definition for the love of God is the act of concern for the growth in life of the person I love. So I see this as a parent. There are times with my son, my sons, that they need to get they need to get a, a word of reproof. But then there are other times where eh, it's not the best time. It's just not the best time. It's not going to help them. It, it will demoralize them or it will discourage them. Um, so there, you know, you when you walk in love, you ha you learn this ability to be able to say the right thing at the right time. And it's OK to overlook an offense periodically. I think that's very important. And it's to a wise and loving person who can tell the difference. OK. Uh, we with one another, I think the term we have skin in the game with one another, 
right? I'm invested in you. You're invested in me. When we're invested in one another, then we'll know the right thing to say at the right time, right? Proverbs 15. Go to Proverbs 15 and look in verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commend knowledge, commends knowledge, but the mouth of fool gushes folly. Now, how about that? I think that's really something. Um, I, I, uh, I think about the patience that we develop as we become spiritually mature and, and um, that even, you know, back in the old days, somebody looked at me wrong and I'm ready to fight. But, you know, the more and more we get to the point where somebody could be yelling in our face as they did with Jesus Christ, right? They were screaming in his face, and a gentle word turns away anger. You talk about spiritual power, that's spiritual power, that you disarm your opponent with a gentle word. That's amazing. I'm not naturally, you know, wired that way, but I'm, I'm learning. I'm wor- uh, learning. Go to Proverbs uh, 5, let me see, I'm sorry, uh, 12, Proverbs 12. A lot of Proverbs deal with the tongue or with the words in their mouth. Proverbs 12, look in verse 18. It says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You know, we read at the beginning of the teaching that that, uh, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Here, it says that uh, the tongue brings healing, that, you know, you're, you're with somebody who's either been deeply hurt in the heart or physically even, um, your kind words are healing. They bring healing to that person. That's that's something else. Go to Proverbs 10. I think uh, how it is among us in this spiritual fight that we're involved in. Um, we're getting wounded periodically. It's a, it's a tough fight. And, you know, my son doesn't even realize that this is my youngest son, but he's my little empath, my little empathetic guy. He'll walk in and he's got like a laser beam. He can tell when dad's bummed out and he makes a beeline right over me and puts a big uh, arm around me and and uh, says, dad, you're a good dad or something like that. <laughs> it's such a blessing. It's such a blessing. So we have this capacity by the words that we say to bring healing and encouragement uh, I was talking to AJ on the phone yesterday. AJ just said something that was very encouraging to me. I'm very thankful for our friendship. Um, Proverbs chapter 10. And I know you are that uh, you are uh, for your friends as well. Proverbs 10, look in verse 19. It says, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. What does that mean? Words are many. Well, when you are having an argument, boy, there's a lot of words flying around, aren't there? And it says, when, when words are many, there's no lack of sin, is there? People are sinning all over the place. But he who holds his tongue is wise. Proverbs chapter 11, Proverbs 11, and look at verse 12. A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. A gossip betrays a confidence. What's a confidence? It's something that is supposed to be, you know, kept secret, sacrosanct. But a trustworthy man keeps a secret. We've got to be able to keep secrets, folks. And, and this isn't meant in a, you know, uh, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, keeping people's sins secrets. But what I am saying is that there are very personal matters that we deal with. And it's wrong to go around 
telling other people about them. It's just not right. It's slanderous. It's slanderous. Proverbs chapter 17, Proverbs 17 and verse 27, a man of knowledge uses words with restraint, but a man of, or and a man of understanding is even tempered. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silence and discerning if he holds his tongue. How about that? You know, I've seen this so many times in, uh, you know, in meetings at work, you know, a person doesn't say a lot, but what he does say has content to it. And that person is always, you know, everybody always defers to that person as being the smartest guy in the room. That's how it works. Uh, go to Proverbs 18. You just have this aura of dignity and, and knowledge and wisdom. We just don't have to go blathering all the time. I think that's, that's a, a big key. My mother used to have this phrase that she used to say. She'd say, um, quiet waters run deep. Quiet waters run deep. And then she had another one. She'd say, empty barrels make the most noise. <laughs> so be wise. Let's be wise. Well, Proverbs 18, look at verse 13. It says, he who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Man, I'll tell you, I can't tell you how many times I've really stuck my foot in my own mouth by shooting my mouth off before I got all the facts. And I know we all have done that, and we, we have got to stop doing that. That's one of the problems with gossip and slander, is we get one person's side of the story, and immediately we start leaping to conclusions, and we just don't have enough information. Now, sometimes, oftentimes, we're not even supposed to be part of that discussion. I think about James chapter 1, where it says, My dear brethren, take note of this. Every one should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's important that we are quick to listen, that we get all the facts, that we're slow to speak, and we're slow to draw conclusions. We need to make sure that the conclusions that we do draw are righteous conclusions, that we're not just shooting from the hip especially when it deals with other people's reputations. It's just wrong. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, look at verse 12. It says, words from a wise man's mouth are gracious, but a fool is consumed by his own lips. At the beginning, his words are folly. At the end, they are wicked madness, and the fool multiplies words. No one knows what is coming. Who can tell him what will happen after him? I mean, it's just the, the proverbial bull in the china closet, right? The fool. We need to have precision in the way we speak. Go to First Peter chapter 4. This is one of the biggest keys in our communication. First Peter chapter 4, look at verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, love covers a multitude of sins. There's a proper time to speak up and a proper time to cover with silence. Okay? Very important. We'll talk a little bit more about that here. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Now, you know, in the age of, you know, uh, I grew up during, most of us grew up during Watergate and there was a big cover up, right? And, uh, you know, that's not what I'm advocating here. I'm not talking cover up. I am talking that we are dealing with people's hearts here. And there is a time to speak up and a time not to. First uh, Corinthians chapter 13, look in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. Love is not pompous. It's not inflated. It's not rude. 
It does not seek its own interests. It's not quick-tempered. And I'm, by the way, I'm reading out of the NAB here. You, you'll see that it doesn't um, correspond with your NIVs. But, uh, but the reason I, I am reading out of the NAB here is because of this next phrase. So let me get a run-up. Verse 5, it is not rude. It does not seek its own interests. It's not quick-tempered. It does not brood over injury. It does not brood over injury. How about that? That's a very important point. And this is very key. We cannot afford to brood over injury. Life is full of offenses, and we must learn to deal with the offense. We cannot allow ourselves or allow offenses to consume us. In the NIV, it says, love does not record wrongs. And this is what a person does, doesn't he? When he broods over injury, he keeps records of wrongs. That's keeping things in your heart that eventually will find their way out. And think about this too, and I know this for myself, but, you know, just have a, having a humbleness for your own memory. You know, when I think back on things in my past, my memory is, can be very deceptive. And what I mean by that is, you know, the good times were really great and the bad times were really bad. You know, we tend to weight our th memories incorrectly. So if I'm keeping a record of wrongs that you do, I'm not going to maintain a proportionality there. That there's, you know, if, especially if I'm compiling this list, more and more I become jaded against you. And this is, this is not good. So how do we, how do we deal with the offense? Well, we've got to learn to Bring the offense to the person's attention when it happens, okay? If, I should say. Remember, we just read earlier that, you know, it's an honor to a person to overlook an offense. There are times where we don't say anything. We just forgive them and move on or whatever. But when we do decide that we need to bring something up to another person, we need to do it as close to the sin as possible. I know this with working with dogs, you know. If my dog does something wrong, he get or she, I'm sorry, she gets corrected immediately and she learns a lesson. But if my dog were to do something wrong in the afternoon and I corrected her at night, you know, the the whole association is is broken, right? So, it's important that we learn to bring things up to people in a timely manner. Uh, a lot of times, you know, you bring something up to somebody saying, you know, well, look, you know, when such and such, you know, when a time this sort of thing happens, when this scenario happens, you tend to do this. And the person should should be just as gracious back and say, well, OK, I get it. Thank you for letting me know. Now, if after that, that person behaves in a similar manner, I'll say, remember the conversation that we had earlier? You're doing it again. <laughs> and. And that's how we help each other. We bless each other with that. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I like it that my brothers and sisters who love me give me a different perspective. So we need to bring things up to people as they happen. We also need to forgive. If you're keeping lists about people, if you're brooding over your injuries, do you think that you're going to be forgiving? No, of course not. Jesus said to his disciples when they asked him, how many times should we forgive our neighbor? He said, they said seven times. He said, no, seven times 70, meaning we always forgive. We forgive. It releases us and it releases the other person. We need to learn to forgive people and move on. And once I've, you know, once a person has acknowledged their sin to me, I will 
will never again use that in you know, confronting that person, because now it becomes an accusation. I'm not doing it for this person's blessing and growth. I'm doing it to condemn that person. That's wrong. That's wrong. Love is selfless. Love is bold and outward facing. So if you think about that, love has also got kind of a thick skin to it. But having said that, we all get hurt by things that other people do, don't we? I think it's important for us to learn how to deal with the hurt. We need to learn how to forgive and move on. We have tender hearts and our, sometimes our hearts are harmed either purposely or, you know, just because the other person's a clod like I am sometimes. We need to learn how to forgive and forgive from the heart. Now, when we are hurt, there's a real temptation to do what? Lash out, right? There's a temptation to lash out. That's especially a time for us to guard our tongues. I had a minister once tell me that he said, when I am hurt, I pull my horns in. I pull my horns in. That means that, you know, when you're hurt, you can do a lot of damage with your tongue. You think about it. Somebody also told me this little acronym. I thought it was cool. It was called HALT, right? So HALT stands for you don't, you don't do anything. You don't make any judgments and you don't uh, say things to people when you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're tired, lonely, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Those are the things, those are the times you got to be careful. And, and we have to have that appreciation for ourselves, you know, that kind of outward, you know, kind of talk to yourself, say, you know, John, you're kind of hard to get along with when you're hungry, right? They even made a Snickers commercial about it, didn't they? <laughs> with Betty White in it. Anyway, uh, I'm kind of hard to get along with when I'm hungry or tired or uh, or lonely. Those are times. So we need to realize that about ourselves. We need to know ourselves and be able to recognize these things. And when we're going through those times, be very careful about what we say. Watch our tongues. And remember, always forgive, forgive, forgive. If I am compiling lists about a person, my list won't be true because remember, the memory is deceptive. And what I will do is I will end up bearing false witness against my brother or sister. And that's wrong. And God doesn't like that. So in order to keep that true, we need to be able to bring things up as they happen. Bring things up as they happen. Goes on in verse six, love does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. How about that? I don't get off watching my brother, you know, fail. Verse seven, it bears, and this is love. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all thing, things. It endures all things. The love of God is the, is the strongest stuff we know. When we have love for our brothers and sisters, I mean, wow. That's the stuff that binds us together. It's, it's strong stuff. And our words have got to correspond. Go to Colossians chapter 4. We're wrapping it up here. Uh, got a couple more verses. Colossians chapter 4. It says, let your, in verse 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Full of grace, full of grace, full of salt. Uh, many of us were taught that this refers to the salt covenant, you know, the truthfulness. So your words are truthful. That may be true. Um, I'm not sure. I don't see that in a lot of the other commentaries on this verse. Uh, but salt also gives flavor. Um, so our words have got to be 
uh, words of grace. You know, remember, Jesus came, came for grace and truth, right? Our words need to be truthful and they need to be gracious. Um, Colossians also talks about, you know, not speaking harshly. There's a time for harsh talking, and, uh, and, but that shouldn't be part of our, you know, the way we express ourselves on a regular basis. And finally, go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, and in verse 22, it says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Isn't that interesting? Your old self, you still have it, and it's still being corrupted by deceitful desires. Verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, verse 25, each of you put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. How about that? We need to be truthful with one another. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that word. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that as a group of people that we can walk in great love and great wisdom in how we express ourselves to other people. Father, we know how to say no to our mouths. And that, Father, we uh, we are um, just humble in recognizing that we're all sinners, we've all failed, and that, Father, that you're helping us to be better every day. In your Son's name, Jesus Christ, amen.